One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready. The title of today's show is Ocon See Clearly Now, The Rain Has Gone. That title provided by Christian Candler on Twitter. Runner-up is, oh, are you ready for this? Bottas, your mission, should you choose to accept it, dot, dot, dot. That's supplied by Jack Scott on Twitter as well. Uh, I'm your host, Richard Spanners, ready, as I said, and I did invite Matt uh, to skip this show in case he wanted to spend the evening skipping and dancing naked through the streets of Brooklyn, but he declined. Therefore, we are joined by Matt to Rumpets. How's it, how's it going, Matt? Have you settled? Have you calmed? I am looking forward to talking about things like Alonzo's defense and how well Hamilton made his comeback mm-hmm. drive after the crazy start. And I'm not at all here to tell Jeansy, you were so wrong about Ocon, man. Not at all. That's not why I'm here. Well, you, this is your day. You get to tell everyone they were wrong about Ocon. Is there anything sweeter than following and supporting a midfield driver in F1 only to see him fight off a four-time world champion for a stunning maiden victory? Uh, no, no, it, it really, I, I think the last time I honestly felt like that watching a race was back in the days before Hamilton had joined Mercedes and he was still duking it out with Vettel for wins at McLaren. Yeah, I know. And it's, uh, you have to say this journey of his is, is very similar to kind of the Gasly redemption arc, if you like, because he was had that year out of F1 altogether We've been giving him a bit of slack against Ricardo. He didn't look great against Ricardo as he got back into the swing of being an F1 driver. And then of late, it kind of looked like it was Alonso that was creeping up and you you started to have some concern for Ocon and then a day like today. Yeah, well, it, it was a lot of people around the time of Austria suddenly really began to doubt his validity as a driver because he was so far off the pace but i actually took that as to be the opposite he was too far off for it to just be him as a driver you know and um sure enough they gave him the new stuff at silverstone he was he was back 
in the same ballpark with Alonzo. And wow, did he ever take advantage of his shot today? You have to uh, you have to keep the faith, don't you? So you are allowed 17 I told you so's or just general yelling at clouds in an Ocon Fossey way. Fair enough. I will use them all up as rapidly as possible. <laughs> Before he does that, let us tell you that we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. Oh, my goodness. As as is our recent tradition, when there is an event such as uh, there was today in F1, we will focus straight in on that, um, but we need a couple of helpers along with us. So we've got Kyle Edgy Power. How's it going, Kyle? Very well, thank you. I have a new camera so you can see my face and all of its ghastly detail now. Yeah, I know. High def isn't your friend. However, <laughs> uh, with that incident, it, it's it's not how we want to see F1 title fights kind of decided, but it is a part of F1. Nearly every season has, you know, it's has its either its Spa 2014 or it's Hungary 2021. Oh, absolutely. Um, it's kind of inevitable in a way you'll get some bad luck, but I can't help but feel bad for Max Verstappen and Red Bull, you know, twice in two races now. Um, but Verstappen put an incredible comeback, really. I think he that was quite underrated during the race when he saw the extent of damage on his car. But we don't want to see that. We were looking forward to the Hamilton-Verstappen wheel-to-wheel through the corners and we got denied it. So we lost that, but we inherited a fantastic race as a result. Yeah, we did. And yeah, you, you touch on the bad luck for Red Bull. That's two races in a row now without either car scoring. Obviously at Silverstone, mm. slightly self-inflicted with Perez because they they literally pitted him just to rob <laughs> to rob Hamilton of the lap. Uh, but yeah, that's two races in a row now, Matt. And remember me talking about, you know, four races ago, Austria, when people were talking about Red Bull storming off. This is how seasons ebb and flow. This has happened many times before and will happen many times again. Yes. Well, a quick look at the point shows that nothing is out of reach for anyone right now. But I do need to say Verstappen has scored at least one point in today's race. So we should keep track of that in case it winds up mattering at the end of the season. And depending upon what happens with the stewards, he might actually wind up with two. Of course, yes, of course. There are some pending investigations that I hope will become apparent before the show is over. We're also joined by Dane Christian Pedersen. How's it going, Christian? It's going very well, Spanos. Thanks. What a race. I know. Everyone's watching the clouds and you got reports of everybody waking up to storms in Hungary this morning. Um, I sometimes wonder if the wet races detract a little bit from the overall spectacle of F1. I know it's exciting, but then you can kind of get robbed of... Uh, it becomes like an event all by itself rather than part of the the current season, if that makes sense. It's all on a knife's edge. So the rain obviously makes it more exciting because it's just more difficult to be on a knife's edge. But what happened today in race in corner one, I think is it's a bit of a shame basically for Formula One. But also it's one of the reasons why we love wet weather races because they're so unpredictable. You you love wet weather races. I love wet weather races. I love just things being thrown up in the air. Mm, okay. The, the only concern I sometimes have about it is is like, well, it's it's the random element that makes it makes it so that anything can happen and then it can kind of take a, away a little bit from the sport of it. I don't know, Carl. I don't know if I'm talking rubbish. I know it's like the ultimate test of skill, but if there was an if there was like a wet weather championship, I would watch that. 
but it's essentially a dry weather championship where they deliberately put races in hot weather and then suddenly there's a race where there's like no grip, the cars aren't designed for it and you go, oh, it's fun, but... It it could be easy to fall into the trap of thinking of it that way, thinking, oh, it doesn't mean so much, it was a it was a wet race and a, you know, a crazy thing, so wins don't mean as much, but at the end of the day, it's Formula 1. They're tested over a variety of different circuits in different conditions it's all part and parcel of the game the sign of a great driver is they're amazing in the dry they're amazing in the wet they're amazing in any situation and that's what we see from our greats all right shall we get to the event all right where do we start with the event matt so this event was so nuts we forget what it got rid of because there was an intriguing tyre battle between Red Bull on the softs and Mercedes on the hards. The mediums. Sorry, the mediums. That didn't matter because the rain came and meant that you got your free choice of wet weather tyre. On the warm-up lap, Giovinazzi switches last minute to slicks because he reckons it's interchangeable. And that, to me, was going to be the story of the race because if he'd have come out and suddenly started catching the pack and scything through the field, then that would have been a really hard decision for the top teams. I mean, in the end... That didn't matter. No, it didn't matter. I think it more would have been hanging on to the back of the pack until things got drier, which I think would have taken about 25-ish minutes based on the uh, red flag period, shall we say. But yeah, there was there was a great deal of intrigue. And especially, I, I like, if you looked at what Pirelli predicted for the race, they predicted a two-stop, soft, hard, uh, medium, I think, being the quickest. Uh, being the quickest strategy and red bull was on that strategy if you look at the fact that verstappen had a cracked engine uh and that's a stress member of the suspension so potentially affected his handling and qualifying there might have been more pace and and more stability in that red bull than we were aware of because he was fighting a small problem with the car through practice so there were a lot of interesting storylines it simply got cashiered when everybody, uh, save Giovinazzi, went on to the enters for the start of the race. And so here's my here's how my emotions went at the start of the race. You go, oh, okay, okay, Lewis got away well. Jeez, jeez, Norris has got away. And, and they fan out like 17 wide. And you go, wow, Perez is doing well as well. Oh, man, this is going to be Perez against Norris. Damn it, come on. And then Perez is really holding the outside line. And you go, oh, my goodness. Norris is like lit. He's going to come through like right to the front here. Oh, 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 no. Oh, Bottas, no. No, Bottas. Oh, no, God, no, Max. Oh, he's taking out Perez as well. And then there was there was another three cars in a completely separate incident as well, Kyle. And I was saying to my boy, I said, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I remember a race like that, a start like that. That was more chaotic than, than Spa 2014, more quite chaotic than Grosjean. Yeah, um, I believe that was 2012 Grosjean at oh, the start, sorry, wasn't it? Sorry, the, yeah. the, the chaos. Um, yeah, it was crazy. Luckily, I had my partner watching it with me because I completely missed it. It was Bottas that kind of caused it. And I missed that Bottas was out. I wasn't sure there was too much going on. I missed the stroll incident as well. And thank God for, well, the red flags. We can catch up with all the replays. Uh, yeah, I mean, at first, Matt, I think some people thought it was Norris because Norris just goes basically careering into Max Verstappen and then Bottas ends up collecting Perez. So it is Bottas in the end that, that causes that. And you couldn't have scripted it better, Christian, could you? The number two driver at Mercedes wipes out both Red Bulls. It's uh, It was alarming, to say the least. 
I think the majority of uh, listeners to this podcast has been at a card race at some time in the, in their life. And we all know when the, when the race starts, who the person is going to be, who's just going to slam it into the side of everyone <laughs> at corner one. And it's such a, it's such a, um, I mean, it shouldn't happen at this level, I think. Uh, and it shouldn't happen for Bottas especially. It should uh, not happen for Stroll either. I know it's knife edge as we talked about, but, I mean, th- those were just rookie mistakes. Okay, I think out of those two, the Stroll one is possibly the simpler of the two. So with Lance Stroll, he's simply trying not to crash. It looks at first like he's taking a real cheeky punt up the grass and ends up hitting Leclerc. He's just trying not to crash. The second you get on the grass, you lose control. I, I think, um, no, you don't agree, Matt? No, it's not that I don't agree. It's amazing the simplicity of it when you break it down like that. The incident, the event, you know, because really all that happened was Botas locked up and tagged Norris from behind. And then Stroll entirely lost track of where he was and missed his braking and just tried to go on the inside and not hit anyone. Yeah, The result was utter and sheer carnage and chaos that we all love. Kyle. Yeah, with the Bottas crash and the Stroll crash, I think they're two very, very different things. Um, with the Bottas crash, if you're going to be doing like a crash or failure investigations, like a quality engineer or something, you would say there's contributing factors. You'll look into why. You'll keep asking questions and looking in. With the Bottas crash, I'm going to defend him a bit here. Oh, so yes. we've got controversy. Hang on a second. I've got a, I've got a button for that. Whose fault is it? <laughs> so was it was it Bottas's fault, Kyle, or was it Lando Norris? How dare he be? <laughs> vaguely in front of Bottas I did ask on Twitter I did say are we being too harsh on on Valtteri Bottas is there any mitigating circumstances because I have to say I've not seen him do stuff like this he's not that kind of driver no he's done it once I think it was 2015 in Bahrain at the start where he tagged Lewis um, when he was still with Williams but you don't think of Bottas as crazy wild lunges, full PlayStation mode on lap one. That's not really him. So his contributing factor to his mistake, it was definitely, there's no denying it was a mistake by Bottas, but there was a reason why he made that mistake. And it was Norris, I believe. He just come, he nipped just in front of him, just before the braking zone. He also, uh, Bottas also had Perez on his left-hand side pinching him. He had to back out. So you're having to instantly readjust, recalculate everything in your mind. And by that point, it was too late. He's also lost a load of downforce from Norris as well. So still a mistake from Bottas, but I think it was triggered. Like Norris was the catalyst. Norris nipping in the front caused it, kind of caused him to make the mistake. I totally agree with Kyle that uh, Bottas is a, he's a clean driver. He he does clean driving generally. He's a clean teammate as well. But, but what happens is um, when you go down to corner one and you started second on the grid and suddenly you're fifth, and you're in the wind of land or in front, it's just your brain just makes you push a little bit more. And that is where uh, and the experience, in my opinion, should tell you to know I need to find the gap instead. Let me be seven instead of fifth in this corner. Yeah. It's so easy to say uh, 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 now. And I, I know and Kyle is right, but it shouldn't have happened. One it of the, was such a shame. One of the glorious things about doing an F1 podcast is you can sit in your shed and judge people exactly. making decisions at 200 miles an hour. So, Kyle, you, you mentioned him lifting off. An odd place to have to, to lift off. So that would have thrown him a fair bit. And I don't think we can underestimate how much difference someone coming in front of you, which Norris was entitled to do. There was more than enough space mm. for him to come in front of. 
but we see it even like even people hate it when we say the sim racing but i've i've accidentally punted people when i've actually tried to let them buy and go no no you go ahead you're faster they go in front and then suddenly you've got less useful air to break and they had not done a single corner a single lap in wet conditions so i don't know i've got a little bit of sympathy for him uh, i spoke to brad earlier for brad philpot and he said that bottas lifted but then reapplied the throttle kind of got back on it and when possibly it was already too late and he should have been in the braking zone so perhaps that's where the error occurs yeah that's that's that thought process he's had to quickly go through after reacting to being squeezed come out is like right need to get back on it by the time he's thinking to get back on it it's too late he should have been off it and that's why so yes it was his mistake but i do believe you know um i think people throwing the book at him is a bit harsh yeah the penalty's probably deserved but there was a there was a catalyst for him making that mistake the stroll incident on the other hand i don't believe that's the case i think that is a you know, absolute hard, cold, quite a bad error from from Stroll there. Yeah, and we what we mustn't do is get lulled into judging an incident by its consequences. And I think that happens all too often. I think that probably happened at Silverstone. Whisper it quietly and then don't read the YouTube comments. But here, Matt, I mean, how many times have we seen a driver just, you know, hit a car in front, they go off and... <laughs> It's just when you take out most of the front three rows on the grid, including two of your your construct title team rivals, it, it looks bad. And if I was Red Bull, I would be I'd be absolutely seething. You've got to know there was nothing malicious from Bottas, but poor like has anyone checked in on Marco and, and Horner? They weren't doing well beforehand. No, they weren't. I, I think I think Marco was probably duct taped into an office somewhere by the PR intern. And not let yeah. near a microphone. But I do have to hand it to Botas. I mean, that was a mir- it was like a three banker that puts two balls in in pool. It was a miracle shot on Norris. And just uh, and yeah, I'm joking. And obviously it was not intentional on his part. But when you look at it, like what are the odds that he could manage to do that with one simple tap to Norris? Yeah, it's perfect. It's like the seven ten split pin shot in bowling. He's managed to completely take him perfectly. And um Whichever way you look at it, he could have sealed his fate or secured his drive for next year, whichever way you want to look at it. Yeah, and if it was deliberate, if you had the skill to hit Norris, take out one and then take out Perez, you you wouldn't be having contract negotiations right now. You'd be the most skilled driver on earth. Matt, one more point before we move away from poor old Bottas. I I do want to point out that uh, based on what Red Bull said after the race, they've had to replace uh, Verstappen's power unit it's likely they will have to get another one from Honda before the end of the season. Uh, they were now talking like Perez's power yeah. unit might too be damaged and might need to be replaced. And as, as much as the numbers they tend to throw out to the media, I think of as like insurance claims numbers, not real numbers, not what it actually costs them in real, real uh, currency units. Yep. Despite that, uh, they may actually be approaching a bit of a pinch point with the cost cap and the amount of damage they've had to cover in just the last two races. Okay, and just a general note for F1 fandom, we need to stop sharing the meme of Valtteri Bottas's head on Miley Cyrus's body doing the wrecking ball thing, because I don't, I'm not sure I can sleep tonight if we keep sharing that. Kyle? I was just about to say, on the damage from, looks like Perez, they think that he may have lost his engine as well, because you, um, you could see after the contact that you could see as a 
it, I don't think it was water and spray coming out. You could see high pressure steam or something coming out the side, a bit like Vettel in 2017 in Singapore. I think it instantly punctured his radiators and he's driven around half a lap and it's probably cooked the engine. Yeah, so it's such a shame yeah. to lose a lot of people right at the beginning. It did make it a lot easier to identify which driver it was because there was only like one of each team left. Oh, McLaren, that must be, uh, that must be Daniel Ricciardo. So uh, talking with the consequences of that then, so we lose those drivers. Clearly, uh, Verstappen is mightily compromised, Matt. He's lost a big chunk of his barge board, therefore his aero. And it, it's, not, it's not even just as bad as losing a bit of aero because you could take away aero and then you could give the engineers time to set up around that aero. This is a sudden dramatic loss of aero lopsidedly. It's actually a miracle that he was able to drive around and, and race at all. It really is. That's one of the most sensitive areas of the car. And if we think back to the immortal and wise words of our friend Summers, talking about the aero handshake, the barge boards are at the very, very front end of the car, and they're responsible for getting the air to the bits at the back that help make the downforce. You take that away, and you have a car that is insanely difficult to manage especially in those conditions. The fact that he was able to uh, eventually get round Ricardo and uh, score and, and finish 10th in the race, although with, with the stewarding, it may actually be better than that, uh, is, is, it, it really is a testament to his skill as a driver that he could find that kind of pace in a car that badly damaged. I completely agree. It's skill and also temperament. I, 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 I was surprised not to hear several angry radio messages there weren't any, to my knowledge, he just got his head down, drove the wheels off the thing and never, ever gave up. And he got his point in the end. And if it does come down to a single point in the championship, that would have ended up being a champion's drive. So, yeah, um, I think I think he needs to be lauded for that because I think he was one of the best drivers of the race, really. So an interesting reaction from all the drivers that got taken out. None of them were really angry because it was so inexplicable. It wasn't like an incident. They were really racing hard and it was just on the limit and I could see why Lewis or, or Max would have very impassioned responses to that Silverstone contact at Cops. Uh, but with something like this, all the drivers were kind of like just shrugging. <laughs> like Norris was like, well, I can't account for that. Perez, who was like third in the billiard ball chain as well, he was just throwing his hands up going, oh, I don't know. He had his head in his hands, obviously, at the side of the track. But once he got back to the, the pen, you, you almost can't be angry at that, Christian, because that is just... It's just an act of God. You know, Poseidon has thrown a bottas at you. I'm, I'm going to make a carding reference again. Okay. I like I'm, it. I'm sorry. Uh, I hope you can cope with them. But uh, we know this from carding as well. Corner one is where you, especially if you do like a race that means a little bit to you, if you're taken out in, in corner one, that is the most devastating feeling ever. And not just because you, I might have won or anything. It's it's the way you build up inside your body, the way you 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 mentally prepare for this. You're at 110% in corner one. And when all that energy is just released at once, it's, yeah, you sort of like give up on life. That said, can you imagine the size uh, that Ocon's pupils dilated to when he went around turn one and saw that there was literally one car left for him to catch? Brilliant. I've had, I've had, sorry, again, I'm going to insult people. I've had racing races like that where the seas just open and everyone crashes and you just seemingly do nothing and wobble through and all of a sudden it's all on your plate. Well, we talked about it at Baku, didn't we, with Perez and suddenly, you know, you see the leader just scoot off and you go, ha ha ha, that's, that's a problem solved. But for, for Ocon, it initially, 
I guess, didn't look that simple. But he got he got ahead and he got well ahead. But then this is where I started to get confused because by the time the green lights went on the restart, I didn't know who was anywhere. So obviously the 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 whole race is is red flagged. That gives Verstappen a chance to at least stick some duct tape or some some welds onto the car and get him going again. Uh, but when we start, it's bizarre. They all start on inters. As soon as they start pulling away, Matt, everyone is saying, well, no, it's dry. Surely it was dry 30 seconds before that. Or was there was there a time limit that I don't know about, like that was like five minutes earlier where they had to decide the tyres? Oh, Kyle knows. I think it's two minutes before the start. You have to have the tyres you're starting on. So I think that's why they all just stuck the intermediate was the safest option. And then they knew they could change their mind on the formation lap. Oh, I see. Does that count for red lights as well? For red flags? Red flags, sorry. Yeah, I Uh, think so. So it looks like it's exactly the same. The restart procedure would be similar. But still, with two minutes to go, I'm finding it hard to believe that they they all made that same decision, Matt. Unless, Unless they all thought, ah, everyone's on Inter's. We can be the one team that sneaks into the pit lane with a coded message because you're not allowed to talk as uh, as science has fallen foul of. You're not allowed to talk on that parade lap, but maybe they all thought they were going to be the one team to do that switcheroo. Well, I think that was Haas uh, Magnussen that got dinged for that last year. No, Sainz, sure. I think Sainz in this race as well. He's been called to the stewards for it for sure because... Um, it was Will Buxton interviewing him and told him live in real time. And he just, he looked like Kevin from Kevin and Perry. And he did, his face was like, oh, this is so unfair. You're not my parents and stormed off to the stewards. But, but anyway, uh, that withstanding. Uh, I, I thought that was for the T-shirt. But the thing that interests me is I actually got into, I actually talked to Summers about this because I, I, I wondered the exact same thing. You know, aren't they allowed to change compounds? And they are. Anyone could have put on a dry tire before they even left on the formation lap. The only thing I can guess is that almost everyone thought that the dry tire would be correct, but nobody knew what the far side of the track looked like. So the plan was, if it's as dry as what we're seeing here, Uh right back into the pit lane. So as far as I understand, they were allowed to speak to the pit crew on the second formation lap? Oh, okay. Oh, All right. It looks like I we think need... so. I, th- I, th- I think I just read some uh, some journalists uh, confirming it, and that is what blows my mind that there was no communication with Hamilton about this. Because if you just look at the digits, if you just look on your computer screen, this is I mean, it's quite obvious. So that feeling when everybody else went into the pit lane, and then Lewis Hamilton was on his own on the grid, the, the feeling, Carl, must have been. Right, I've missed like a red flag or something. I don't, I don't think I've ever seen a Grand Prix start with one car. Yeah, I've done that. Turning up to the wrong place for job interviews, you get this almost like FOMO. It's like, should I be here? What am I doing here? I'm in the wrong place, aren't I? And it's just this horrible feeling of what's going on. Um, must have been just really bizarre. I did love his. Um, I did love his defending of clean air, though. He still went off the line and still made a couple of look like defensive jinx. He kind of went straight into race mode and forgot he was all on his own. So okay, well let's go into that, Matt. I mean, Mercedes made the decision not to not to pit. What possible incentive could they have had to not switch to slicks? Um, the only thing that occurs to me is that they were in a very unenviable position. If they choose to come in, not only are they the very first garage in the pit lane because they are last year's world championship winners. 
meaning that as everyone else came in to change tires, they would have to be held for the cars coming through the pit lane, going to their own boxes. Doesn't mean that he wouldn't get out in the middle of the pack somewhere, but almost certainly a couple of cars would be ahead of him. But the opposite could be true. It could be that everyone was told, just do the opposite of Lewis. You know, if you see Lewis diving in the pit lane, maybe you choose to stay out and maybe it rains again. You know, it's, I don't know. It was a tough call. Obviously, in hindsight, they should have come in and changed the tires. That would have cost them the least in the long run. But I I can understand why he thought that most of the rest of the grid would go with them. (laughs) So um, our live Slack chat, hello everyone in our Patreon Slack group, is saying that that second lap isn't a formation lap and therefore those rules don't apply. So it's just like a warm-up lap or something. Christian, you had a point. Um, I, I would guess that as a team, you you would go through the forecast in during the red flag. You would uh, you would uh, run a few scenarios on how the next start would run. You would have some uh, probably some spotters on track stuff like this. You would know just a tiny bit about the track, so you would already evaluate what's up and what's down. And on the next not formation lap, which was in fact a formation lap, but wasn't. They would talk to Lewis about what what is the conditions, and they would figure out with numbers, math on a computer, what would be the fastest. That that is how my mind would think. And why uh, not? Okay, but Kyle, it didn't work, and it was definitely wrong, and no one else did it. Or what am I missing? Well, no, I think it was in Ted's notebook afterwards. He said he spoke to a Mercedes person, and they said they think um, they were going to be eighth or ninth at best if they did pit, but. I think Hamilton, he was kind of inferring in his interview that he was angry at the team for not calling him in. But I think everyone was under under the understanding at the time that those radio rules applied. So if they uh. don't, that's incredible. But I think Hamilton was expecting a call from the team. And I think the team were expecting Hamilton to call it himself because <laughs> all the other drivers, I think, called it. So okay. you can't put that one as much on Hamilton as on Mercedes. So I think we're going to see a pattern of, in fact, we can just talk about it now, of a seeming lack of communication. So even after the second pit stop, I know I'm skipping ahead a bit, Matt, there was Hamilton on the radio going, where am I? You know, can I win? And they're like, yeah, no, you can't win. And I think they kind of just like, have they just gone into autopilot where they go, ah, Louis, he's got it. Lewis has got it. We're all right. They do have track record of gaffing in these situations. They've done it several times before, remember? They have. Uh, Although I think my personal favourite was Lewis on the radio going, are we on lap 43? And they're like, no, no, you have 43 laps to go, Lewis. We're going to be fine. Christian. But every time stuff like this happens, uh, you hear Toto on the, on, the, on the radio, you can do it, Lewis. And when that happens, he knows he's on his own. <laughs> and that's basically how Mercedes works nowadays. Yeah, so they suddenly sound like kind of cheerleaders from the side. Go on, Lewis, you can do it. All exactly. Right, cool. So actually, this, uh, this race very quickly became... Kind of not about Lewis Hamilton, although understandably the TV cameras and the broadcast were looking back to see the progress of Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton. And we will talk about the ham ventures and the magnificent uh, the magnificent adventures of Max Verstappen as well. However, we do need to talk about where the race and lost and was won and lost and it wasn't either of those two. This is where we turn to Matt and say, Matt, where was the race won and lost? Now, Matt, this is the bit that involves Ocon. This is the happy place. Enjoy the happy, warm bubble. No one's going to ruin it for you. No one's going to suggest 
that this was a massive fluke. No, no, we're not. We're not. Tell us how the race was won and lost because I, I think very early on, it suddenly went, oh, this is a battle between Vettel and, and Ocon. Latifi, yes, he's holding up a train, kind of spacing it out for them, leaving these two up ahead. And for all the talk of, of Lewis charging through the field, you know, he was right at the back at a essentially dry Hungarian Grand Prix. It, 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 was, it was a battle between Ocon and Vettel from the beginning. It was a slight bit of doubt maybe in the middle that others would get involved. But really, these two stole the show. Yes, my temptation to reply with simply the undeniable skill of a future world champion. <laughs> That's fine, Will fine, be fine. That's one of your 17. It's one of your 17 that you're allowed. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, no, we've covered the event. We've covered lap one. And we've even sort of covered the dive into the pits. Um, it was brought up in the in the chat. One of the advantages, because really this begins with that formation lap, with everyone starting with Ocon, into the pits. How did he manage to get back out in front? And the answer, long answer, is because of where his garage was situated based on their championship points last year. The people directly behind him all pulled in behind him. So he was back out by time the people the, the further down in the order were starting to come by. He was able to get ahead of them, but he didn't actually lead the race. It was Russell who led the race because he passed a bunch of yeah. people in the pit lane and emerged, timed it perfectly for the green light. Bang, there he went right by Alcon. I was like, oh no, it's, it's going to be a challenge now for a bit. Let, let's break that down a little bit. So the garages are in team order. And I have to say, in championship order from the previous year, I have to say this is something yeah. that I've never really focused on. I've been vaguely aware of it. So as you come into the pit lane, that's Mercedes. Mercedes don't even have to jink right or left they can just drive straight into their pit box then presumably it's red bull next so on so on and so forth right yeah so uh, alpine will have renault's pit box location from the previous year and yes. that puts them whatever fifth so that means when he came in everyone that was behind him didn't have to overtake him because this is one of the points with lewis hamilton if if hamilton had have pitted he might have had to wait even though the tires were changed he would have had to have waited for everyone going past him into their pit boxes and been like sat there for like 10, 15 seconds. Yeah, I believe the drivers behind were Vettel and Signs, And then, then I think Latifi, if I'm remembering the order correctly. So both Vettel and Signs would have had to go down the pit lane. They would have pulled mm. out. So he would have had essentially that much of a margin to get the new tires on the car and get back out into the pit lane. So that would have been ahead of Latifi. And then everyone else filed in. Ooh, as, this is as interesting. They did. Lucas is saying that Mercedes could have chosen to be first or last and the rest is in order. So if they'd have chosen to be last as you come into the pit lane, Hamilton could have come in today, pitted and then got out and waited behind the green line. That's an interesting. Yep. Imagine that decision at some point in the in the middle of the, the off season. They're going, do you want to be first or last? And they're like, doesn't matter. I guess we'll go first. And then that decision has kind of cost them the race win today. That is interesting. I think it's a product of old days, Bernie Egglestone days, where uh, you didn't have like proper garages for all teams. So some garages were bigger than others. And back then, the, the winning teams had all the champagne, all the gold, stuff like that. Ah, and uh, Tim, I might our, be wrong. Tim in our patron Slack group has said that Russell said that he took a cheeky punt as overtaking is generally allowed in the pit lane, which it is. 
I mean, yeah, fair crack of the whip, Kyle. It beats the the Formula E Lucas Degrassi tactic of of trying to do a overtake everyone through the pit lane in the yeah in, in the Epre. It, was, it wasn't even that cheeky, really. It was just some very quick thinking because it's an unprecedented situation, really. Um, yeah. There aren't really any sort of rules for it, and he just sort of jumped out. So, so you know, it's a good nod to the FIA, as he, as George said in his interview for them allowing him just to simply give the places back rather than penalising because it was an unprecedented situation. So it all worked out fair in the end. But what what brilliant quick thinking and exquisite timing. It was just perfect. He was sort of just rolling and just nailed it. So there was one more crucial thing about that, and that would be Latifi. As they came back out, once Russell gave the positions back, Latifi was driving a train that was going much slower then Vettel and Ocon were going. And that allowed them to build a gap of easily 10 seconds plus by the time they started getting to pit stops. Yeah. It was crucial long-term for them to be uh, finishing on the podium. And this is the part of the race where I started messaging around to check everyone was okay. He's like, Matt, are you okay? You got Ocon's, you know, up there with a nosebleed. Are you all right? And then obviously Chris Stevens, little tiny Chris Stevens is a massive Nikita, uh, sorry, um, Nicholas Latifi fan and so we're like Chris are you okay are you alright right now neither of you are okay both of you are losing it uh, yeah it was mental and not just losing it but losing it because the race was at the front so close lap after lap after lap in fact I think it was uh, what if that'll pit around lap 37 maybe around lap 33 or 34 Ocon started to really establish a gap because when Vettel came in he was almost three seconds back so you could see the tires clearly going away on the Aston quicker because they were on the mediums, just for those of you who care about those things. They're on the mediums. Um, but you could see at a certain point, Vettel would get faster. He would get almost into DRS. Alcon would up his pace. But then around lap 32, 33, he began to fall back and not be able to keep up. So he, he blinked first, going for the undercut on lap 37. But they were able to pit um, in front of Gasly. It was uh, P5, P6. And and only have uh, signs and Alonso, I think, um, to worry about as a result of that. But and uh, it wasn't it magnificent, Carl, just to see Sebastian Vettel back at the front of the race, kind of pushing it, going for it. And he had a better car. You could tell at the end he was gutted. He knew he knew he had a better car. But it is Hungary. It is the Hungaro, uh, the Hungarian Grand Prix, Hungaro Ring, and it is notoriously difficult to overtake if you don't have a huge delta which he didn't but my goodness he must have been he must have spent the whole race just going oh it's so close it's there it's there uh, you could hear the exasperation in his uh radio message as soon as he crossed the line it wasn't yay we finished second it was ah we finished second he was like so so angry and and as you say the pace delta he he had a marginal pace delta but look how hamilton struggled to get past some drivers with a huge pace pace delta it just goes to show how difficult it is to overtake there but it's wonderful seeing Vettel back up he has been really becoming the people's champion hasn't he this year really he has a little bit he's become everybody's f1 dad going around stadiums tutting and turning the light off were you born in a barn as he closes the door Um, Matt it's um it's funny with uh, all drivers I was was speaking to a, a, a racing driver yesterday over lunch and I was saying to him you are miserable all the time. I said, I could, you could have five races, win four of them, and you would be sitting here berating yourself about the race you didn't win. If you told Sebastian Vettel they were going to have a second place 
he would have snapped your hand off, yet they're still devastated at the end of the race. Yeah, it, understandably, because he felt like he had the car to win the race. And I think for a large number of laps, he probably did have a slightly faster car. But what impressed me and what Vettel, I think, um, what you have to love about his honesty is, is he pretty much said is, yes, I tried everything I, a four-time world champion, knew how to do. And at the end of the all, at the end of it all, Alcon simply did not make a mistake. I couldn't make him make a mistake. And because he didn't make a mistake, he won the race. Absolutely. And there are some other other sort of factors to it as well, where Alpine were looking pretty because of Alonso sitting there. He got stuck in the Latifi train, but he was blocking Vettel from being able to do an undercut for so many laps. He was just yeah. a blocker, just sat there. So that was um, really hindering him. And then where, where it really came undone for Vettel in my eyes, and he admitted this in an interview afterwards, I didn't quite hear it properly, but um, I noticed as soon, when Vettel pitted, the onboard camera, the camera switched to his onboard and you see him really having a kerfuffle with the gears and almost coming to a standstill in the pit lane. So I, I think, I think Vettel screwed, well, messed up the pit lane entrance a little bit. He referred to it. So that compounded him, not like the, the error that Aston made at the pit stop in the end. So I think it was Vettel's fault as well. It's not, it's only a week or two since uh, Ocon got a new chassis and things have just completely changed for him since uh, I'm, I'm so happy he's up there because he totally deserved it but it would have been nice to see Fettel on the top podium this I weekend. know I'm so, I'm so sorry Matt I'm so sorry Matt as much as I wanted you to be as happy as you are now I did I did prefer the story of Vettel coming through and taking that Aston Martin win as well um, but uh, I wasn't going to admit that to you please don't hurt me you're far away you can't punch me no, I, I wouldn't hurt you. I, like, I understand Vettel is, uh, he's a redemption feel-good story now. Of course, you want to see him win a race. But I have to thank Kyle for bringing us to the next point that was critical in the race, because it was that pit stop. You are absolutely correct. It was four seconds for Vettel, 2.4 seconds for Ocon, which, yay, impressive from Alpine, because Vettel pitted first. They knew. The entire race depended on uh, not just Ocon hitting his mark, which he did, but also on the mechanics who were not under that much pressure normally, getting it dead right, their only chance, and they could give the whole race away, just a bulky wheel nut is all it was going to take, and they absolutely nailed it. Yeah, no, there's no doubt it's an impressive performance from, from Ocon, and he had to be perfect in that situation. There's, a, there's another couple of factors that helped with that as well. So the fact that they were constricted in uh, in pulling the trigger earlier because of not having a great gap to fall into. And also we'll talk about Fernando Alonso as well, who may have saved the whole field from, from being overtaken from Lewis Hamilton. I have to say, you were talking about the redemption arc of Sebastian Vettel. Do you know what it reminds me of? It's a movie franchise where they have a bad guy who's a big star in the first movie. They defeat him, but then they're like, oh no, He's a really popular character and he's a really famous actor. So they bring him back as like a friend of the heroes now and they have to go and defeat the real bad guy who's even badder. Anyway, that's the that's the MCU version of F1. I've lost yeah. myself. Where are we going? Rescue me, uh, Kyle. I was just about to say, uh, yeah, taking nothing away from Ocon, me saying 
that yeah, Vettel and Aston dropped the ball a little bit. Um, but take nothing away from Ocon. He got he got it handed to him. He got his golden ticket handed to him, yep. and he didn't block a single wheel. Didn't go wide. Didn't do anything. And it just goes to show how the depth of talent in the field. Because let's face it, and Matt's probably not going to like this, but Ocon has been pretty unspectacular all year. Yes, he may have had some chassis issues, but he's been he's been quite flaccid all year. And I think there's a few of us a bit disappointed. And then he, look what happens. You give him the chance, he takes it with both hands and absolutely nails it. It's just like Vettel in Monzo in 08, just like, Mal, like Maldonado in Barcelona in 2012, just shows a yeah. guy in a midfield car gets given the chance and just absolutely nails it. What an incredible drive. Well, first off, everybody won in 2012. Like literally everybody won a race in 2012. Matt. Oh, sorry, Christian, uh, so, go on. Let's get Christian's take. Did you hear Vettel's comment on Maldonado after the race? No, why? Because they were talking about uh, him going for a gap, and he was like, "Yeah, well, it was a Maldonado gap." <laughs> and then everyone laughed, and then he was like, "Oh no, well, Maldonado did some great overtakes, yada yada yada." That was quite fun. Very fatal in a very fatal way. So the point I wanted to make about the pit stop was that yes, Ocon did the right things, but I want to point, I want to give special props to his team and especially the mechanics who were in the pit lane because the pressure was really on them to get the change done cleanly. And the reason for that is that the undercut is very powerful at Hungary. And in fact, even with the three seconds, even with a four second stop for Vettel, when uh, Ocon came back out, I think the gap between them was around, was about maybe half a second. And it really looked like Vettel might be able to get him yeah, it did. Yeah. Uh, all the way through the second sector till his tires came up to temperature. So it, it was, um, I'm, I'm saying it's the whole team that was impressive in that moment. And it was critical because Vettel really could have taken the win if any of that hadn't gone exactly right. Speaking of savage comments, Yako, I think I'm going to say Yako, J-A-C-O, I'm going to assume it's Yako and European says, Ocon didn't participate in any Hulkenbergery. Savage, savage. Oh. Yeah, but look, yeah, like Carl said, he had his moment and he he absolutely took it. So I'm going to congratulate you, Matt, and credit you for that. And congratulations to you. If you want to see how Matt reacted to the win live, I WhatsApp called him and videoed it. And so go in there, follow at Mr. Apex F1, and the video is at the top of the account there. And I have one more critical point for us to get to. Okay, that that and that would be lap 49, turn one specifically. Remarkably, Vettel and Ocon are now lapping cars. They're lapping Giovinazzi, and Giovinazzi does not let him by. And Ocon is forced to chase him down, um, chase him down the straight with DRS. But Vettel had snuck up on him. And just as Ocon gets next to Giovinazzi and is about to turn into the turn one, Vettel is just about alongside. And I think that was the Maldonado gap that he was talking about. Because Ocon saw that coming, he turned in pretty tightly to try and shut Vettel down. Yeah. And Vettel, being the clever man that he was, did not Maldonado Ocon and take <laughs> them both out. And from that point on, it was just nip and tuck. And as you mentioned, really a lot of that came down to Alonso holding Hamilton up from lap 54 to lap 65. Yeah, and we're going to go down the grid a little bit, you know, but just a word to... Sebastian Vettel, you find yourself in a new team and there's no need to feel down. You just pick yourself up off the ground, you know, because you're, you're in a new town, basically. There's no need to be unhappy. 
Seb Vettel, you've done us absolutely proud in more ways than one this weekend. Uh, let's go for uh, Carlos Sainz. Let's talk about him. Man, Carlos Sainz was in a race today. He was like properly in a race for the podium and Ferrari were playing checkers and Carlos Sainz was like, no, I'm doing this the Carlos Sainz way, Kyle. That was my, could have been my moment of the race. We talked about Sebastian Vettel. Oh, he's, he's like being the pit crew from within the cockpit. He's being the team manager. I think that's just what you have to do at Ferrari. Sorry, Ferrari. Okay, Carlos, we're going to come and pit now no i've seen this before it doesn't end well it was incredible i was just about to say that it just it it sort of arcs back to the vettel era when he was calling the strategy shots from inside the car because he didn't trust the team or the strategists and science's call was the correct call in the end he was also telling them to mind out hamilton hamilton's going to stop again we should think about that and cover him he wanted to cover hamilton in the end i don't think it would have made any difference to him but it's incredible to see him you know it's the first year in ferrari he's obviously very much settled in now and feeling very confident if he's now starting to not trust his own strategists i think it says a lot about the current drivers uh, especially the the new young ones coming in uh the way their brains work is just a different uh, kind of animal uh, it's um they can they can watch screens they can listen to music they can basically be on instagram while <laughs> while doing an overtake it's yeah. they are multitasking at a level never seen before and uh, uh, it surprises me that a driver can know more about the the, the tactics than the the pit wall but he did yeah, he kind of did. Although, let's not give it too much credit that he was seeing some uh, big picture. And I think you're right. I think Lando Norris can actually do Instagrams directly from his steering wheel. But I think from Sainz's point of view, he was just seeing he was a fast car on um, on a track where track position is key. Wasn't able to unla- uh, unlock any of his pace. Had tyres in hand. So as soon as the cars in front of him went... I, Matt, I think it's as simple as he was like, no, 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 no. You're not going to pit me and put me back behind those mugs who, who I've just finally got rid of their gearboxes from my, my vision. Yeah. And in fact, uh, had he finished on the podium, the fact that he was stuck in the Latifi train would have been one of the places where the race was won and lost because it absolutely kept him from moving forward. And he he did have pace. That car, that Ferrari was fast and could have given Vettel a hard time, could have given Ocon a very hard time, I think, personally. But as is, he wound up being the last car between Lewis Hamilton and third place. Oh, he's mentioned Ocon again, everyone. He's mentioned Ocon again. If we get YouTube comments saying, I used to love this podcast, but now it's uh, Ocon FanFest. <laughs> right, yeah. I'm blaming you for every listener we lose, man. Fair enough. (laughs) So ultimately, he didn't uh, manage to hold Hamilton off, but he did play a key part in making Hamilton pit. So he was definitely a factor in Hamilton's race. We'll get to Hamilton in in a little while. But when it came to that crunch moment, he did have an opportunity. He said it wouldn't make any difference. I think he did have an opportunity to get on the podium. And he, he knew it. He lost out into turn one with the aid of a back marker. And you could hear in his voice, he was like, he thought he thought he had it. He thought he had a shot. And it was possible. Alonso showed that. Yeah. And it was just, you could hear him on the radio as Hamilton went by because he knew straight, you could see him going. So to explain to people, Hamilton passed him on the inside after Alonso held him up for 11 laps by not letting Hamilton do exactly one thing, which is get on the inside going into turn one. And you could see him. I think he just 
looked in his mirrors at the wrong moment and Hamilton went from far enough away that I'm not worried to too close for me to actually be able to close that door. And oh, the tone of his voice on the radio when he realized that was just, uh, it hurts. It just hurts. Uh, I think the, the, the speed on which he approached Sainz Hamilton uh, after overtaking Alonso, I think also that does a thing to a driver where he's like, I see Alonso in my rear view. I see, well, Hamilton, well, next lap, he's just right behind you. I think you lose a bit of a motivation and maybe you don't fight so hard when it's when things happen that fast. Uh, and I think he just did a reasonable uh, last stint of the race. Carlos Sainz uh, drove a very, very, very uh, well race, I think. Yeah, it was another amazing race from Sainz. He's really fit into Ferrari brilliantly this year. I think it's been fantastic, even though the results may not show his true potential. But going back to if he would have if he would have pitted and covered Hamilton, would he still be able to get the podium? And I don't think so. I think if anything, he could have been one place down behind Alonso. That meant he would have had to come through Alonso as well. Remember, he doesn't quite have the delta, the car advantage that Hamilton had over the other guys it would have been quite difficult so he managed to hang on to fourth in the end but I don't think him covering Hamilton would have made any difference to his position yeah I mean this is all based on looking what uh, looking at what Alonso did to Hamilton and looking at the car signs was in and thinking well he should have been able to do that too if you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. It dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. 
All right, look, so I think the, the next thing to go on to would be the, the Ham Ventures, the adventures of, of Lewis Hamilton. And that brings us nicely to Alonso. Talk a little bit about how Verstappen managed to, to, to fare in that race. Williams. And hopefully by the time we get to the end of the show, we're going to get an official uh, announcement on whether Vettel and Russell have any kind of penalty for running out of fuel. Uh, before we do that, I'd like to ask if you're enjoying the show. I hope you are. We are Miss Apex F1 at Miss Apex F1 on Twitter. If you are enjoying the show, all I might ask is that you consider supporting us on Patreon. Just go to the page. It's linked in the show notes, www.patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. Check out the tiers there. You can get an ad-free feed for your podcatcher. You get provided a link and you put it in your in the search bar of your podcast player and you get a version that doesn't have ads on it as a nice reward. Um, you can also join our patron Slack group at certain tiers and you can be in our chat group now because we have turned the chats off for YouTube because uh, it got a bit got a bit much, didn't it? But you can join us in in there, and you can also get the patron only episodes. Me and Matt did a, a fun one on Friday as well, where we celebrated his birthday and talked about cake and stuff. Uh, mainly, you're helping us just maintain this wonderful project that we've enjoyed so much. And I will say that we have a level of support now where Matt and I are able to consider Miss Apex as part of our freelance week. And had we not had the patron support, we definitely would have had to go and find other things in that time during the pandemic because both me and Matt were stressed. We were at stress points during the pandemic. I mean, my wife is patient, but like only so patient, if you know what I mean. So we would have had to have used the Missed Apex time to go and do freelance work. As it happens, Missed Apex is part of our freelance work now. And that's that's the main incentive for supporting us is supporting an independent creator that hopefully you like. Missed Apex, uh, sorry, patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. Oh, and also like and subscribe the video and leave us an iTunes review. That would be lovely. Thank you so much. We've had like 50 iTunes reviews worldwide over the past couple of weeks. Thank you so much. Five-star review on there makes our day. Hamilton. Lewis Hamilton finds himself at the back, Christian. Were you were you, were you betting on Hamilton to, to do anything from there? I, I was optimistic when he started to get to the, the back of the grid. But as soon as he started complaining about not being able to follow a Alpha Romeo, I went, ah, it's not in the script today. It's not in the script. Things were just so hectic, I thought. So uh, when when things just sort of like settled down, they'd only raced like 10 laps or something like that. And you felt like you were already half through the race. Yeah. And you were like, this is never going to happen. But then suddenly things easily picked up. Uh, I think this was... Yeah, one of his best races I've seen. Really? Uh, yeah, I think so. From how hard it is to overtake on this track and from keep pushing, even though your your rear tires are gone, your front tires are heating up, your brakes are heating up, and he just kept doing that all through the race. This is what Vettel couldn't do through the entire race. He did that on almost the entire field. Uh, I think that's pretty impressive. Oh, you're so hamfosi, Christian. No, so I'm ham- not hamfosi. Uh, listen, uh, I'm I'm totally neutral. But he did. He was the driver of the day for me today. I think that's pretty hard to disagree with. Um, he was he was absolutely on it, and you could see how it, well, quite worryingly, how exhausted he was afterwards. He that was a race of qualifying laps that he that he 
that he put in. I thought he was going to get his head down initially, but the real key factor was that early stop and the undercut and coming out and just getting ahead of Ricardo and jumping for Stappen. Then I, I thought his race was almost done there. And then as soon as that happened, it's like, right, now game on. Now he can do something. Okay, can I, can I temper this slightly sure. with the saying that he's driver of the day? Of course, it looks spectacular coming from the back, but I think he had a car advantage this weekend anyway on the Red Bulls, with both Red Bulls conveniently taken out by his teammate, completely by accident. Um, Of course, it was by accident. He had such a massive advantage over the field. So, like, towards the end of the race in that last stint, there were times where he was, like, three seconds a lap over literally every other car. Any other track but Hungaro Ring or Monaco, he sized through the field and just goes straight up to the front. So he was in a battle, Kyle. I'm not doubting he was not in a battle, but it was a, a completely different battle to the rest of the cars. He was in his own race with a unique challenge to anyone else. Yeah, and a unique challenge added to the fact that the Mercedes, again, is not very good in traffic or following. We could hear it um, quite early in the race. His engineers were having to tell him to look after the brake calipers. They're too hot. So obviously, you know, any sort of compromise you put on the car is lap time lost. You can't mitigate for all circumstances. And Mercedes don't. They they run their car as if it should be out the front, particularly at this race where they knew they were starting on pole. So they've, so they've obviously closed all the cooling up to get as much performance as possible. So he's having to manage temperatures. And this is what makes it so, so good. We know the Mercedes is terrible. Look how many times, you know, terrible in traffic. Look how many times Bottas has struggled to make a, an effective pass on anybody. So he he did manage to pass a few people. But um, so I think, in you know, to counter your argument of he, he had the best car, <laughs> yeah. but he, he has the best car, definitely an outright pace. He's probably got one of the worst cars in traffic, but it was a strong drive. But at the end of the day, he still is coming through the field, field in the Mercedes. You know, you still yeah. have to acknowledge that. I, I would argue that uh, on this track, you need, I think, Andreas Seidel uh, confirmed this on, on the broadcast. Actually, you need two seconds yeah. uh, faster car to overtake you. And and the Mercedes was on a good day, maybe eight tenths faster than the third best team. So he he still had to find one point three seconds to do that. Uh, and uh, I totally agree; it was a superior car, but it it just sort of like makes his uh, makes what he did fade somehow. And I think that's a shame. So Mercedes clearly dropped the ball overall as a team. Matt, didn't they? By keeping him out, being the, you know, one of these kids is not like the other. Look at all the other kids in the pit lane. And this one with the odd socks on is on the grid by himself. I think they kind of made up for it by rolling the dice, being aggressive and bringing him in early. Yeah, well, what was happening was he had gotten stuck uh, behind the, behind the, who, whichever train it was, uh, Ricardo and Verstappen and... Uh, yeah, he was, he, was in, he was in with the, the Red Bull Juniors. Schumacher. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was the Schumacher train. Yes. Um, and they realized that if they pitted him, he would have some clean air to drive into and get some really fast laps in. And so they brought him in for the undercut. And that, that was a redemption for them from a strategy point of view uh, because it, that entirely changed the complexion of the race. It kicked off a whole extra round of pit stops earlier than most of the teams would have liked to have done. You look at what Ocon and Vettel did, they wanted to run to lap 35 to 40 before they switched tires, and that's a guaranteed one stop. Instead, Lewis made them all have to go to two stops uh, in some cases, or else get overtaken, 
sticking to their original plan. And that's exactly what Mercedes wanted and exactly what Mercedes needed. Yeah, that strategy call, um, that strategy call pretty much makes up for their half of their um, bad call at the start. Yeah. So I still think there's half on Lewis, half on the team, well, mainly on Lewis, but Mercedes pulled a blinder in, in that situation. I think they made up for their, for their mistake earlier. Okay. Plus his outlet, plus his outlet. Uh, yeah. Combined with the outlet. Yes. And of course, by the time he got to Verstappen and Ricardo, he had warm tires and was able to hold it around the outside. And, and I must say, for as much as people like to think, I'm going to bang this drum again, people like to think Lewis Hamilton is really unpopular because if you look on social media and Instagram, he's getting so much hate. The Hungarian crowd, which we were told, we were informed, would be fully a Max Fossey orange army, was going absolutely wild, cheering Lewis Hamilton on. And I, I, I honestly think, Kyle, that that booing, it was a, a, probably a small section of the crowd, but he's still vastly popular and and like those cheers i didn't not i didn't imagine those and he, he had those when he eventually got past alonso as well yeah you could audibly hear the crowd going mad and cheering him on i mean ultimately you could argue some of the crowd are just are just cheering seeing a great race but sure no that ruins my argument uh, uh, but the boos are completely unsavory you're not a fan of Formula One if you're booing full stop, really. What? No, I don't like, agree. I don't agree. No, no, I don't no agree. not booing for sportsmen. Quite a lot of people go, there isn't a place, regardless of who you, who you support, booing another driver when they're out there putting it all on the line is just not a done oh, thing, really. no. Oh, I don't agree. Right. Okay. I wasn't, I didn't plan to talk about this, but my, my feeling is booing is panto. And if there's no, like, if there's no, like, oh, if you can prove there's something really nasty about it, like it's like a super ultra racist group that have come there just to boo Lewis Hamilton, then yeah, there's something nasty behind that. But normal sporting booing, in every major sport in the world, it happens. At Silverstone, we, we, I mean, other British fans, not me, obviously, booed like just any German. There could be a German there saving puppies but he would get booed. And that's kind of an affectionate booing because the Germans are like our, you know, they're like our brothers, aren't they, that we just love to hate. I don't, we don't like seeing it in any sport. I don't think in any sport, maybe it splits splits opinion. Yes, it's maybe to be expected, but I I would never pay a ticket to go to an event to actively boo somebody. I just don't, maybe I'm strange. <laughs> I just don't, I just don't get it. Okay, Christian. Two points. Uh, first, I love the new sound mix on Formula One. It's absolutely brilliant, the ambient sound mix, so we can hear these people. Secondly, I think there's a big difference in if, let's say, Hamilton overtakes Verstappen, everyone can boo that. But booing someone speaking if they, they won a race. So sure. That, okay. that, I see the difference. Totally different matter. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I think it's very dis- disrespectful. Really. And clearly, none of you have ever watched wrestling. <laughs> Where you always boo the villain and it's just fun for the crowd. I, I take Spanner's point here that for the most part, if, if that driver is the villain because they're the one who always wrecks your driver or is ahead in the championship, it's, it's no different to booing the opposing team uh, at, at any other kind of a sporting event. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. it's just part of the fun when you're in the crowd, I think, unless... I think Christian makes an important distinction that there are certain times I, I didn't like the booing of the anthems. I'm like, yeah, just chill there. But yeah, you know, yeah, the home crowd booing every time the player, the opposite players touch the ball. I think that's just part of the panther. You've paid like 40 quid to get in. I think you can do that. I just wanted to say the same about soccer when someone has the ball and everyone goes to boo. <laughs> that is just part of it. And that's fun. But uh, that's, oh, okay. that's the difference. All right. Well, where are we? Oh, with Lewis. Okay. So... 
Uh, do we interrupt the Lewis thing for the breaking news that's just come in? Everyone, of course, listening to this after the fact will know by now that it appears that Sebastian Vettel has been disqualified for a... Is that That's a DQ, isn't it? It's a DQ. Uh, it looks, it's, it's a stone-cold, no-exemption DQ. And, if and that's you don't always have been that the case. liter of fuel, yep. always, well, you're done. Yeah. Technical infractions have no great areas that is heartbreaking for Vettel because it was a great result for him at least he got his podium because I think when it's a technical violation like that no one's it's not like he's cheated and therefore got the podium by by cheating no one thinks that I'm glad he got to be on the podium and, and celebrate the podium however this technical DQ will take those points away a massive shame I don't think it takes away from any of the achievement um, or the emotion of of the day I think Vettel fans can still hold their heads up high Christian I think the Red Bull fans, on the other hand, will not like the extra three points. Oh, I didn't think of that. Oh, so that is now that is now eighteen points for Lewis Hamilton, uh, but Vettel gets an extra. Uh, sorry, Verstappen gets an extra couple of points as well. He gets an extra point. Ooh, okay. And well, Sainz winds that. up third. Uh, some consolation though is that Gasly got the fastest lap to take that away from. <laughs> Lewis Hamilton as well. So obviously heartbreaking for Sebastian Vettel. Sebastian Vettel fans, I I still believe you can be proud. Where were we? We were still talking about the Ham Ventures though, Matt. Yeah, and where the Hamilton driver of the day, I think, ultimately falls down is when he gets to Fernando Alonso. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. Right, right. 54. This is my favorite part of the race. This was the best part of the race because I, I, I am an Alonso fan and uh, I, was, I was kind of willing him on to a, to a podium. But more than anything, I was just enjoying seeing Fernando Alonso with a competitive car at the sharp end of a field and the track conditions made him able to use all his defensive masterclass skills on Lewis Hamilton, Kyle, and... I would say, actually, it was great. It was massively on the limit. I, I, I don't know how many other... It, what, do you not think so? No. You thought it was no. all fair and robust and... And I'm saying it was good. I just think that some of it was... A bit... I, I didn't get that at all, personally, from watching it. I thought... I didn't think it was anywhere near the limit. I thought it was fine. Uh, Lewis obviously had a bit of a moan on the radio, but it's heat at the moment stuff going into turn four, passing around the outside. I mean, what do you expect? It's going to get tight. <laughs> he tried it a few times. Um, I think Alonso was 100% fair and absolutely right in whatever we did. And as you say, it was a masterclass of where to place your car to screw your opponent up. What was very telling was Alonso's comments afterwards saying that he thought it was Lewis actually making mistakes in the final two corners. Uh-huh that allowed Alonso to stay ahead for so long. So he actually said Lewis wasn't great there. It was really interesting to hear Alonso say that. Well, I mean, it is obviously much harder to follow through those those corners oh. as well. So that would be an error generator and give you understeer and that's something you have to deal with. But uh, Christian, w- one of the things I found really interesting about it was it was 20 laps out. Alonso probably was always going to lose that pace, place. It probably hurt him in his charged towards Carlos Sainz. So there was a potential kind of fourth place there if he'd have just waved Hamilton through. But Christian, does that, this not just speak to Alonso's character? I, I think he had the thought, do you know what, I'm on telly, it's Lewis Hamilton, I'm Fernando Alonso, damn it, I'm going to fight this. And it was great. When, when Fernando Alonso returned to Formula One, this is, this is what I think everyone who likes Fernando Alonso racing, this is what everyone was just looking forward to because he's such a hard racer, but he's fair. 
and basically i'm i'm gonna stir some stuff here but okay if 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 this is grown up actual hardcore racing this is how it's done without taking each other off and i think you saw the two masters of doing this today in in the race uh I think it was very respectful from both sides, and I don't really understand Hamilton's radio afterwards. It was just Formula One at its essence, and I loved it. And I hope uh, Alonso will get us faster cars so we can see more of this. Yeah, I completely, I completely agree with that. Oh, I, I thought you were going to say wants. disagree for a second there. <laughs> uh, no, um, no, I completely Screw agree, you, Christian. I think I think everybody wants to see Alonso in a in a faster car. And going on what you said, um, he was he was battling hard. He probably knew he was going to lose the place anyway. Yeah. He was battling, <laughs> not for himself, but he was battling for two. He was battling for his yes, teammates as well. I think course. he had the two screaming at him in years, like, do not let Hamilton pass. <laughs> do everything to hold him up as much as you can. Uh, yeah. Alonso, the team player. There. I said it, and I said it out loud. Alonso, with the reputation for destroying the chemistry of every team he's ever been to. Alonso, who absolutely worked himself out of any kind of a decent IndyCar drive thanks to his comments about Honda. The same Fernando Alonso, two years later, comes back to the sport, possibly with a lesson or two learned. And look at him. He's like, I can win a race for my team. I can give them the chance at victory. And I have to do one of the hardest things possible, which is keep Lewis Hamilton behind me when he's got a car that's two seconds a lap faster than mine. Who was... Buemi's teammate in the first season of Formula E, it was the owner's kid, and basically... Prost? Uh, no, 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 Prost. it wasn't. Buemi's teammate could have let Buemi through for a podium and helped him in the championship, or he could have taken the podium for himself, and it was about three races from the end of the season. Do you mean Degrassi? Oh, sorry, Degrassi, yes, I beg your pardon, yes, it was Degrassi. And, and, and I'm thinking because it's the, it's the team that apt... Yeah, yeah. So Daniel Apt, right. So Degrassi, yeah, instead of letting him through, Daniel Apt decided to take the podium for himself. And at the time I said, well, look, who do you want to see celebrating at the end of the day? He wasn't in contention for the championship. Do you want to see Degrassi celebrating with your teammates or do you want to see Boemi celebrating? And because of that decision, Boemi celebrated the championship. So for Alonso to have the maturity, if this is what indeed happened, to say, do I want to see Alpine people celebrating today or do i want to see aston aston martin people celebrating today it does show uh, a team spirit of maturity and you're comparing ocon from old uh, to sorry alonso from old to alonso from now alonso's 40 this week compare 40 or uh, 40 year old you to 25 year old you 25 year old you was a turnip 40 year old you is basically fine and i think that's the difference everybody's awful when they're 20 something <laughs> No, I'm not wrong. <laughs> no, you're, you, you'll notice so none true. of us are going to disagree with that statement, even though... That's because we're all old. Yeah, that's because we're all old. Even though none of our misadventures are forever preserved on Twitter, etc. Oh, yes, exactly. Kyle? Um, Ocon alluded to this in the interviews afterwards. He said when he was entering the team, he goes, oh, I've been warned about Alonso. I've heard all these bad things and he's terrible and he's not a team player, but I've really enjoyed my time here with him. And the fact that Alonso waited for him after the race to celebrate, it just shows, yeah, um, maybe his, maybe it is water under the bridge. Maybe it does exist. Maybe he has turned turned the corner and now he's super team player, Fernando. I hope they told Ocon on the radio after celebrating. I hope they said, like, Fernando's done you a solid there because I, I think had he got through Alonso, 
had similar fortunes with signs, he's up to those top two, and Ocon's victory is in doubt at that point. Uh, he still would have had to get by Vettel, who presumably would have presented some kind of similar test to Alonso. Uh, but I can happily attest that Ocon was informed and said things post-race, uh, thanking Alonso, and absolutely was aware of Excellent. the um, contributions that Alonso made to his win. I think this is going to do very, very good things for the entire Alpine team. I think it's going to do wonderful things for, for the relationship between the two drivers. This is going to fuel Alpine to do more and do better, I think. It's, it's evident. You can watch, see it from the team. Okay, uh, we've, got, we've got a couple of uh, topics just to quickly fly through before we get to the podium. Lewis Hamilton looked absolutely exhausted on the podium uh, to the point, like he really, literally did look like ill and there's talk of like dehydration and um, and heat exhaustion. It was hot out there, Christian. Uh, they talked about COVID, uh, actually, still, oh, long being, COVID. Uh, still being uh, the effect on his lungs and uh, people who have had like... Uh, Pretty middle uh, COVID uh, experience can be, I mean, affected for years. So if if this is real and this is a COVID-related uh, thing, it could be quite serious, actually. Yeah, it's quite interesting. Um, the the phrase "long COVID" is being thrown around quite a lot. Hamilton said it in the interview. He said it's still fighting a battle. It was just the first time we'd actually seen it. I think it's the first time it's had to do qualifying laps for most of the race, and it's yeah. a physical track anyway. In in heat that's quite concerning and quite worrying really um yeah he he looked ill he looked genuinely he ill on that podium he did so i'm i'm gonna not pour cold water on that i'm, I'm sure it's i'm not a doctor so i'm i'm sure you know there could be some effects from covid there's just a, a few points that i think might nip uh might sort of mitigate against that firstly like you said qualifying laps the team put him on a strategy where he's having to push the whole time. And I think there is a physical penalty to the driver for pushing and being on push laps. And even before COVID was a, a thing in all our heads, Lewis was the probably the only driver who we would hear physically panting when he was when he was on the team radio. And I do think that Lewis Hamilton has a, a mentality where he can find a zone where he can push himself physically and be uncomfortable. And that is, that's something that not everybody has. And it also varies from athlete to athlete. So professionally, believe it or not, you wouldn't guess from my, my round chubby face now, but I, I have professionally had to be physically uncomfortable at certain points. And there is a mindset where you go, no, I'm just going to feel terrible until this race is finished. And oh, this race, this task is finished. Some people are willing to do that. And when I teach the kids to run, Matt, and we talk about breathing, you will breathe when we're running with the kids. You will breathe until you feel uncomfortable. And it's about what you can maintain and what discomfort you can stand. And so I will just give Hamilton a bit of props. You know, I, I think he's extremely fit. And I think he can find a physical state where he is uncomfortable and does that deliberately. It might not be a sign of a, a flaw or a fault. I think what they say is adrenaline is a heck of a drug. You can work yourself really hard and not realize how far you've gone. I mean, I can remember doing cycling drills with someone and then they just suddenly just leaned over and entirely lost their lunch in the middle of it. Yeah. So you can push yourself farther than you think you have in the midst of competitive endeavors. Sure. And I just, I just, I think Lewis does push himself really physically hard. And um, as Schumacher stepped up, physically you're a Schumacher fan aren't you Kyle Schumacher Massive. changed the game with physicality 
And I think there are a few drivers in this pack that are changing the game with physicality as well. So people underestimate how fit you have to be to be an F1 driver. And I think that's not going away. That's only going to increase. Uh, It's only going to increase. It might matter less next year with slower cars, less G-Force. I mean, these cars are sort of the peak performance Formula 1 has ever been, really. Uh, So it's the hardest it's ever been. But it's true, Schumacher was the first modern driver who made fitness diet the first complete modern driver and he changed the game, really. But that doesn't stop. Lewis has also changed his diet in recent years. I don't know if that's anything to do with it. Are but that's you saying that about vegans... Brad listens to this, you know. Are you saying that vegans suffer? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Say it could be something that it, he's made a few changes, but I think the number one reason and everything is pointing to post-viral fatigue and something from COVID, yeah. absolutely ticks all the boxes and makes perfect sense. Excellent. Uh, Max Verstappen, Matt. Not a huge amount to say with Max Verstappen, apart from, yes, it, we've said earlier, it was impressive that he was able to kind of get round at all really you can't judge his performance in any way shape or form he did his best to get around he was having legitimately good fights with Mick Schumacher that was a good fight it was fairly even probably not dissimilar to to Hamilton Alonso in the form of kind of the deltas you did have a slightly faster car but Mick Schumacher was able to defend and and he did (laughs) he put up a robust defense yeah he, he did and it was a good it was an interesting look at where he might be as a driver in another season or two, I would say, uh, because he went wheel to wheel with some of the very, very best, and he gave as good as he got. And if he'd had a more, if he had a more better car, I'll just say it like that because I feel like I want to say it like that. It, it could have been an even more interesting race for everyone. I think this was a very character-building race for uh, Verstappen because uh, when the race started after the first red flag he knew he wasn't going to be able to do anything with that car. And he sort of like accepted being out of the points in what would be considered one of the fastest cars in a position where he would have to like accept being there for the entire race. And he was there for the entire race. All those things combined are very hard uh, mentally for a driver who just came out of the Silverstone drama and stuff like this, this this must have been been a very hard race for Verstappen, and he did good. Yeah, and it must have been doubly frustrating. I was expecting them half about half distance to actually retire the car and maybe stop the mileage on the yeah. PU because he was going nowhere. He was mm. absolutely oh, stuck. Yeah. So yeah, good point. It was, so, it was, so I was like, surely they're just going to retire the car because they are down on PU and power units now. So... um when he passed, I think it was Ricardo. It wasn't Ricardo. It was somebody earlier on, or even Mick Schumacher. He passed. He screamed on the radio. He was like, yes, come on. And he could still see that motivation <laughs> was still there. But how frustrating. You gutted. Your heart must be on the floor. You're feeling really bad. You're stuck in dirty air with a car that's completely mangled and broken, not going anywhere. And he still kept his head in the game. So I thought that was really impressive. Okay. So um, just looking at the clock here, we have talked uh, about Latifi. We've talked about George Russell, who looks like he's... No, what's wrong? What's wrong, Kyle? What have I missed? I just wanted to say a little thing of with um, Mick Schumacher and the amazing defence he was putting up and just awesome, awesome driving. He's definitely a Schumacher. He was not giving that up <laughs> easily, regardless of who, of who it was. And it was great to see. He was properly elbows out. Okay, I had decided to skip past this, but since you brought it back to that battle between Verstappen and Schumacher... I mean, okay, I'm going to completely forgive Verstappen because, you know his cars damaged and everything but he, he he got Verstappen by Schumacher with a robust defense on the outside of turn one right 
Schumacher did a thing that we've kind of accepted is okay that Verstappen does all the time. Ran Verstappen off. Verstappen just plants it on the off track, gets back on, gives himself a great run up to turn two. Verstappen holds it on the outside. Schumacher's there. Verstappen just drives into him and hits him and then carries on and it's gone. And I must admit, I was just going, how is that? Is that allowed? Like Hamilton must be kicking himself. He should have. That's how he should have got past Alonso. Just pinned it around the outside of uh, turn one, stayed off track and then just hit him. The off track's the interesting thing because remember, I think it was um, some people have made comparisons to this on Twitter back to um, 2008 in Spa where Lewis jumped the chicane and then passed Kimi on the very next corner. So they put a rule in that if you gain an advantage by leaving the track or cutting a corner, you are not allowed to pass until you've already passed the next corner, if that makes sense. You're not allowed to pass immediately at the next corner. And he did. So I that went through my yeah. head a little bit. I was like, mm, that's a bit yeah. that's a bit weird. But the actual move itself and the contact, nah, that's not a penalty. I think they both come towards each other. It was just racing yeah. and it was a tiny little bit of love rubbing. That was all it was. It was fine. Love, it wasn't love rubbing, but if anyone was gonna say love rubbing on our podcast, it would of course uh, be Kyle. Yeah. It, it seemed like a <laughs> it seemed like a fair old bash, to be fair. I think they were both reasonably lucky to get to get away with that. But anyway, I thought that was an interesting side note, but I'm not begrudging that because it was um it was a good battle between those two and I'm I'm glad it happened. Matt, I wanted to get to the podium, but the last thing that we haven't, last major point we have not covered really is the Williams drivers, an absolutely fantastic result for Williams. For a second, there was a battle in the heavens between Zeus and the FIA stewards. The the FIA stewards had to go to Olympus to beg Zeus to not give George Russell a penalty to take him out of the points. But George Russell now has his first points for Williams, but Latifi got more. Latifi? is clearly the better driver oh, there. I said it for you, Chris Stevens, only for you. People did this with uh, Robert Kubica as well. Obviously, it's a it's a, it's a, a, a vagary of the point system that all his great performances have not been rewarded. And Kubica's one good performance in comparison and Latifi's great performance today has been rewarded more. So no one is credibly suggesting that Latifi is better than George Russell. It's, uh, it must just be a bit of a kick. But props to George Russell for saying, when Latifi was in third place, please tell me if I can support Latifi in any way. Don't worry about my race. I'm going to do my best to, to help the team. Yeah, he was on the radio right off the bat saying, sacrifice my race. We need the points. And even after the race, he was very complimentary of Latifi's performance. And you just you love to see it. It was brilliant. And he even said it was semi semi emotional as well. I think he was choking up in some of the interviews because he was so happy the Williams team have actually got points. And it just shows how much it means to them. Of course, he said three years of hard struggling at the back and they've finally got a double points finish, how much it means to them. And it's great to see the team spirit there. And not just a points finish. I- I'm going back up to check my chart, but I'd be fairly sure they're looking at uh, P8. Yeah, P8 in, in, the, in the constructors, which is huge for the money. At that level, I mean, they're they're on six points. Alpha's on two. Haas is on zero. Uh, I, it's a done deal. I mean, they're going to finish eighth in the constructors, and that is after all these years in the wilderness. That's got to feel super good. So, I don't want to be unpopular here because I know Russell's very popular, and I know that Hamilton's going to retire at some point, and we want like good British guys up the front. And so, everybody forget that I ever said this, but Russell knows how to speak into a microphone. By the way, like he is a very bright guy. He's very PR savvy. I'm not really taking away anything from anything. All I'm saying, Carl, is that that guy knows how to hit the drum beats of 
a good narrative and a, and a good PR strategy. I know what you're doing here. You're oh, doing what we're doing. What we're doing, Ricardo. You're, you're, you're trying to insinuate that George Russell is actually secretly, evil. Aren't secretly, you? that's evil. what you're saying. I, I, what I will say, and I stand by that. Ricardo is uh, secretly evil. No, I, well, I'm not. I, I don't have anything against George Russell. I'm not actually a George Russell fan in particular. Which is that kind of? Don't tell the Queen I said that. But I think I might lose some kind of British identity or something. But yeah, sorry, Christian. I'm just. I'm not a Russell fan. Not nothing sparks. For me, but but don't forget we need we need the um, what's his name? Who was the guy always drinking in the, in underwear? James Hunt. James Hunt. <laughs> yes, we need the James. <laughs> we need the James Hunts of Formula One, and I think uh, guys like Lando, Leclerc, uh, Russell, those guys are winking to the camera and mm. stuff like that. We need yes. a bit of that. He's he's cleaning his uh, Mercedes AMG GT in 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 a naked top. Yeah, yeah. And I mean Oh no, he loves he loves, a, he loves a shirtless pick. He loves a shirtless yeah. pick this George Russell. We need them. We need these guys. Yeah. No, I agree with you. Everyone forget I said that. Podium time. Of course, the beauty of the internet is that all your comments get lost forever, literally forever. Please, uh, we are going to do some awards, but before that, can you please follow my panel? Follow Kyle. He's a wallflower, really, is old uh, Kyle Power. He sits quietly in the background until you rile him. And if you're at a barbecue with Kyle, firstly, I do suggest strongly that you sniff him. Because even though he looks like he would smell... He actually smells fantastic. I secretly sniffed you at that barbecue the other week, by the way, Carl, when you oh, weren't looking. Oh, oh, just going for a cheeky one, did you? Yeah, I, yeah, I went for a cheeky one from my. I was like, he smells is, fantastic. Is this still a Miss Apex? Yeah, no, it's still uh, Miss Apex. So- it's, oh, okay, cool. it's not Miss Apex. No, no, but <laughs> it's, it's true. Because you look at him and you go, he would smell awful. I have to. No, he's really good. So he's at Carl Power F1. Carl is one of the nicest human beings I know until you deliberately provoke him. So I suggest that that's what you do on Twitter at CarlPowerF1 or in real life. Just give him a jab. And when you finally get that rise, it is worth it, Carl. It is worth it. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, before midday, usually, is the best time to, pro- to provoke me. Before yeah. midday and before caffeine, then, yeah, you'll get the best results. Uh, Christian still refuses steadfastly to do any social media, apart from your Instagram. Oh, yeah, but I actually closed my Instagram too. Oh. Uh, so, Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, smoking signals. If you like build a fire and then you have like a blanket, then you yeah, can yeah. make signals. And if I can see that fire, I'm able to read it. But um, I've come to the conclusion that this is the only place where I actually need sort of like a social media stuff. So, whatever you guys want me to pick up and make an account, it, yeah. I'll do it. Oh, you okay. guys choose. So, you can have a missed apex only, say, Twitter or Ex- email or something. For instance, like that. for okay. instance. I like that. Um, Christian, if you can see the video version, I'm really upset because Christian's got some sort of proper HD pro camera now. You are a ridiculously handsome Scandinavian Norse god type figure, and you're making me feel bad about myself. It's, it's all equipment, it's, uh, it's fake. It's it's all a filter. It's all a filter. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you're unlikely to know this being not Danish, if you're not Danish. But Christian is also a, a Danish radio presenter, TV presenter and international superstar DJ as well. I've seen that. I've seen the Ibiza pics, Christian. There's no point hiding. it. Where have you seen the Ibiza pics? Your your friend Carsten sent me some uh, 
some pics of you what? DJing. Yes, <laughs> I've got some. What is going on? I will post them on Twitter. Don't you worry. And you can see Thank them you on your new much. Twitter account. Follow Matt at MattPT55. Happy birthday, Matt. You turned 55. Yep. Last Carl week. signs number and me. We are the same. Well, there you go. Uh, at MattPT55 on Twitter. Your wife writes books. We would like to recommend those. She is at A Weaver Writes. And the show notes will include links to all of this stuff we're talking about. And the links to Amanda's books. So what are we doing here? We're doing awards, aren't we? We've been talking for ages. Sorry. I just, I like hanging out with my crew. But this is where we do awards. So let's do the thing of the weekend. (laughs) (laughs) Someone in the live chat just said, uh, Christian's eyes are mesmerising. He looks into my soul with his eyes. Okay, thing of the weekend. Kyle Power. What was your thing of the weekend? Um, can I combine two things together as one collective thing for the weekend? You can do whatever you want. Cool. This is the good thing, right? Thing of the weekend. Yeah. So um, it's team spirit is my thing of the weekend with the George Russell radio message saying sacrifice me for for Nikki and ultimately for the team. And then it was Alonso, his job he did for Ocon. And then the fact that he stood in Park Ferme waiting and as soon as he, he he looked a bit dejected when he initially got out of the car, but he was straight to Park Ferme waiting for, for Esteban. As soon as Esteban turned up, embrace, and then he was pointing to the crowd as it's all about this guy. And the way he celebrated his teammates' victory there Aww. was fantastic. So that's my warm, fuzzy feeling thing of the weekend. Team. So in your team, you're not including Bottas, you know, just game three, <laughs> wiping out the two Red Bulls. <laughs> no, you're not including that. And he was waiting for Lewis on the podium going, I, I did it. I took out two of them. Sorry. Sorry. You had to deal with Gasly and Yuki. I couldn't, I couldn't deal with them. Don't give me that 20 quid. <laughs> Oof. Okay. Let's move on. Christian. Oh, by the way, someone in our Slack chat who's Danish went, I've seen him on telly. It's true. I'm curious to which show, but we can return to that. I'm, I'm going to combine those as well. But can I combine both the positive and the negative? It's is that, very unconventional. Is that allowed? Let's, we'll allow yeah. it. Okay. So I'm going to start with the missed apex from my, because they are combined. So that was when uh, when they released Ra- Raikkonen uh, into oh, yes, Mazepin, and we haven't even d- debated that. So that was, I think that was a downer. But the upper on this one was when Rosberg called it an unsafe relief. Did he? I'm just oh, and okay. yeah, I'm just gonna let those words hang there. So, as a as someone who is also like a very good English speaker with a second language, you're throwing Nico Rosberg under the bus for getting an exactly. English word wrong. Okay, um, no, it, it, yeah, well, you make the you make the math. So I <laughs> hate Nico Rosberg because he was the big well, he was the big bad, wasn't he? Again, what what Kyle? What he was the big bad I'm against with Kyle. Lewis. I'm with Kyle. He was fantastic no, in the comms box. Yeah, and he that's the fantastic. Not, Can we please have more yes. of him, please? No, and that's the point I was going to make. It was annoying because when I found out he was going to be the sub, you would assume it would be Paul Durast and they said it's Nico Rosberg. I was like, oh my goodness, this is going to be torture because in his punditry, he is a proper turnip and he is provocative and he likes to pick fights and he's anti Lewis. I'm like, grrr. He's not anti-Lewis at all. He's very pro-Lewis, actually. And that is the cool thing about Rosberg. I totally agree with Kyle. He has so much knowledge. He can pinpoint the the smallest details. He knows the tracks. He knows how the cars react and stuff like that. He's he's the best commentator I've heard. He's a very good uh, driver expert. Of course, he's very, very bright. You can see that he's got massive brains pouring out of his ears. Uh, But... Before anyone writes the YouTube comment that I'm being a hater, that was my point that I was trying to make was, as a 
commentator in the Brundle role, he was incredibly professional. He he parked any kind of partisan stuff. I fully believe that whenever he praises Hamilton as a pundit, it's to make himself look better. Like, isn't Hamilton brilliant? I won in 2016, by the way. But as the second chair in the commentary, he really he brought that home and he was brilliant. And I was annoyed at how not annoyed I was by Nico Rosberg. Huh? You see, huh? You see, huh, Kyle? Huh? Yeah, you see, huh? <laughs> that was a backhanded compliment if ever I've heard one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, that was my thing of the weekend, was going to be Rosberg in commentary. Trumpets, what was your thing of the weekend? Well, you know, I'm going to have to mention the fact that my boy Ocon did the absolute job for 60-some-odd laps. Well, that was predictable. Uh, but <laughs> I got a shout-out. Okay. To Sebastian Vettel for the t-shirt and mask and his absolute attitude about representing at the anthem. I think that is the equal of what Ocon did. I am not opposed to drivers using their platform to to make statements and to stand up for what they believe is right. And I have not disagreed with a single word that has come out of Lewis Hamilton and Sebastian Vettel's mouth with regards to LGBT rights this weekend. Uh, so I think you're right. I think that's great. Okay, good. Well, okay, that's enough. We've been really nice. I've been nice about Rosberg. Matt's been a social justice warrior, which is somehow an insult. But I, I say we do uh, the bad thing now. Oh, no, you missed the apex. Who missed the apex for you, Kyle? Um, We haven't mentioned it. It's been like the elephant in the room. Really, um, the, the race was so exciting that we kind of forgot of a lot of the things that happened before the race started. Oh, oh, so no. my, oh, no. I'm sorry, but I couldn't let it go without a mention. Um, okay. I'm actually, yeah. Um, so <laughs> everyone, everyone's bracing. Everyone's taking their positions, everyone. Fine. Positions. Okay. <laughs> Red Bulls Appeal. failed yeah. right yeah. to review in the protest. Not just the protest itself, but some of the other allegations it claimed within, which I think did not sit well with the FIA or a lot of people on the inside. And I was amazed that Red Bull uh, Horner seemed quite meek and a bit mild in some interviews after that. So I wouldn't be surprised if they've had a bit of a wrap around the knuckles yeah. and told to pipe down a little bit. So that's my missed apex. I thought it wasn't, it was, it was ridiculous, really, if you think about it. Their driver was hit and ended up in the wall 51 g crash blues out lost out on those points uh hamilton got the penalty and they still came out of the whole thing definitely looking by the like the bad guys so i would not be surprised at all carl if someone in the pr department had said stop it you were right they were completely muted whence it came to like friday saturday sunday style interviews my my big concern is that they are going to make Alex Albon recreate the Bottas incident, and they're going to say, "Right, we're going to we've lined up three cars for you at the end of the uh, the home straight there, Alex." And Alex, no, no, no. What we're going to need you to do is <laughs> Did you know how many times D- it takes you. <laughs> no matter it how was many actually times. it was a DTM weekend that weekend, and he was driving DTM Alex Albon. They still dragged him to Silverstone to do this. This was amazing, and it's and it's. 
bonkers when you think about it. Like the real loser out of this whole thing is poor old Alex Albon, who's been told to do something and now he is the butt of a thousand jokes online. Oh, no, poor fella. Sorry about that. Um, Christian, who missed the Apex for you? You kind of did your missed Apex award already, didn't you? But... Yeah, it's a bit, it's, it's a bit boring, the, the, the Mazepin one, but uh, I, I'm actually surprised nothing bad come of it, uh, came of it. Uh, I think they should have had a penalty for that because they basically just took out a harsh, harsh car. Yeah, which could have been a potential point. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> I think the stewards are going, oh, at least it wasn't Schumacher. We're all right. All right. I didn't see that. I didn't uh, see that. Trumpets, uh, who missed the apex for you? Well, uh, in light of recent revelations, you're going to have to say it's it's got to be Team Aston. I mean, you have Stroll quite literally missing the apex, thinking, oh, it's a wet race. I've entirely overcooked it into turn one. I know, I'll drive on the grass that's wet. That's a good idea. And then you have them likely burning off a bit too much fuel out of Vettel's car during the red flag and uh, just getting getting their numbers wrong. You know, I, I know they're claiming that the fuel is still there. It's just the FIA's fault they can't find it. But, you know, the rules are kind of clear on that, where the fuel has to be and where it has to come from. So. So I want my panel to think about their pony award. And while they do that, I do want to say that everybody in the Missed Apex organization has been touched by the tragic loss of life at Brands Hatch from a steward, from a marshal. We have always been you know, massive fans of, of what you guys do, if there's any marshals listening. And we've, we've also, we've just tried to make the point that it is such an important job that you guys not only deserve protection, but when it comes to these top events, you also deserve some pay. I think uh, this does show that it's a very dangerous job. It's a job that we could not go racing without. And our thoughts go to the, the family and friends of those affected. But racing goes on. And when it does go on, I hope everybody is thinking about the, the marshals that are having to do an incredibly tough job in the line of fire week in, week out, so we can enjoy the sport that we love. On with the show. Uh, it's the Pony Award, isn't it? Have we got any of those? Daddy, I want a pony. And I want it now. Kyle Power, what pony do you want? You're not going to like me for this one. Oh, no. Go oh, don't. Don't oh, you, no. Lewis? He was very tired. <laughs> he was think, not feeling um, well. He, yeah, yeah, come on, man. <laughs> I think, because um, I think I gave him a pony the last time I was on, but it's... Um, <laughs> Yuki Sonoda for me. Oh, okay. It's my, Lewis. <laughs> it's my um, thing. He had a, he had a, whilst, and what topped it was, whilst in a, like a post-race interview explaining his sweary rant, he still swore in his interview explaining his sweary rant, which I thought was quite funny, but he didn't explain himself very well again, but he seemed like he was genuinely angry with the team. I don't think all well's behind all is well behind no, closed no. doors We've there. Got... Like um I think his his attitude hasn't curtailed, but I think they something behind the scenes might be provoking it a bit more and yeah, so he seems more fiery than he was before, if anything. Yeah, we we've thought this for a while, you know, that thing of just not attacking your team or it's the Paul DeResta scenario, you know. I think he talked himself out of an F one drive by publicly slating Force India. It was Force India at the time, wasn't it? Yes. Um and I think Yuki Snowder's kind of in that same the same risk bracket. Any other ponies, guys? No, I don't think we have Not any really. other pony awards. All right. Well, in that case, uh, it just remains. <laughs> you thought I'd forgotten that. Comment of the week. <laughs> so, 
at the moment, we still aren't doing a live chat in YouTube, but we do have a very active uh, patron live chat. Have we got any nominees for comment of the week there, Matt? Uh, yeah, I'd say we have a few dozen. Oh, God. He's going to have three. I, wasn't, I was like, wait a minute. What did I was say? waiting for your response. <laughs> three, three. Come on, man. We're already an hour and 40 minutes in. All right. We're going to have to um, cut out all of Kyle's things. Like we'll go through and just cut out everything Kyle said to fit this in. I know, but it's probably worth it. There's so many good options. I, I will give you uh, Vermin's, a.k.a. Gino Betters. Alonzo hasn't had a better defense since Spygate. Right. Nice. <laughs> Okay. No, come on. They lost that though, didn't they? That's a yeah. Well, oh, because of yeah. him. Mm. Anyway, next. Um, we have. If you no longer go for a gap that doesn't exist, you are no longer Pastor Maldonado from our friend Evangelos Heteroclitus. Oh my goodness, Maldonado! Like, he's not real. He can't hurt you. That was eight years ago. And then finally, we're going to have Rob Asher. I pity the fuel who is in charge of keeping an eye on consumption at Aston Martin. For oh, those of you who are fans of the A-Team. Do you know, I'm a sucker. I'm a sucker for an A-Team, uh, an A-team uh, quote. So well, that will have to be the winner. Rob Asher, you say? Absolutely. He is the winner of... Comment of the Week. Check out everything we've talked about in the show notes below. Please consider supporting us. Patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. It's the summer break. We've got some nice things lined up for you guys. Hopefully some special guests. We'll do a, a driving masterclass with Brad Philpot. We could have a really special kind of tech segment split between a couple of shows as well that I, I know you will enjoy, even you non-tech-minded people. So we're definitely going to have stuff for you on Sundays until we get back to racing action. I know some of you will dip out and uh, wait till the next race review, but that's fine. Wherever we see you next, all I ask is that you work hard, be kind, and have fun. This was Missed Apex Podcast. Well, Matt, I think we said some of those words in the right order, but I think generally we said, we said the right words. So at home, people might have to edit it out and put them in the right order, and it will all make sense. Yeah, I, I think we got the main point. Oak on one. <laughs> Seriously, do check out that video of uh, of Matt on the Twitter because he was just I, I um I, I WhatsApped you and I said look, just let me WhatsApp you so that I can see your reaction if he wins and you went you went no he hasn't won yet I was like no 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 it's okay we'll WhatsApp you. you you'll forget I'm there and then I realised that I was feeding you audio that was ahead of where yeah. you were. I was like, oh, oh, no, no, no. So I quickly managed to mute that at least. And I got a, uh, with, without sound, I managed to get uh, your your reaction. And it was just pure, just pure passion, man. That's what F1's about. Yeah. Did, but... do you, did, did you watch it on the, uh, on the official F1 channel, Matt? Yeah. Uh, how yeah, much I is watched. the delay? Uh, about 90 to... seconds, I think. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.